actually we just wanted to change up pre-season um, we, we came up with a theme and we, we worked it around Dennis Rodman actually if you remember Dennis Rodman at the Detroit Pistons in I'm a true believer as well like how we do something is how we do everything it's about the players it's, it's not about you the coach mm. you know that that's the key key of it Hello and welcome to the Offfield Rugby Pod. I'm your host Brian Moylet, former Irish age grade international player, now mindset and performance coach. I help players and teams all over the world overcome setbacks, play in the zone and achieve higher levels. On this podcast, I chat with people at the top level about their journey so that you can get their insights and hear what worked for them. You probably agree that you need to be strong mentally as well as physically, but most players don't know how to work on their mindset. My new book, The Book on How You Become a Pro Rugby Player, is like a gym program, but for your mental strength. In it, you'll learn how to instantly move on when you make mistakes in games, how to feel excited and confident on the field, and how to play in the zone. And it's available now on Amazon. Please subscribe to the pod wherever you're listening, and be sure to send it on to some friends. Cheers. Hey, hope you're keeping well. Today I'm chatting with Damien O'Donoghue, who is the Senior Athletic Performance Coach at Glasgow Warriors. And in the pod, we chat about all things strength and conditioning. And Damien gives brilliant insights into what it is like for professional players and what it's like in a professional environment with this side of the things, with the gym and everything to do with that. Damien also spent nine years with Munster Rugby before moving to Glasgow two years ago and he worked his way up essentially from the bottom at Munster Rugby. He chats about how he did that, how he went about it. In the podcast he goes through Glasgow Warriors five pillars of performance and their big rocks so if you're looking to get better in this area there's lots of very practical insights that you can take and do yourself. He also says what a very key thing that players need to get right when stepping up from university academy or club rugby into the professional ranks when it comes to athletic performance. As a bit of a background, I spent some time with Glasgow Warriors over the Christmas period. I was in with them for a Stormers game and a few days after that, so Damien kind of refers back to that of the time that I was in the environment and then a couple of weeks after that I flew back to Glasgow and had this chat with Damien. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome. Be sure to check out some earlier episodes and send on some friends. Please connect me as well on social media. My Instagram is at Offfield Rugby. My LinkedIn is Brian Moylet. And yeah, if you have any feedback or any thoughts for the podcast, would love to hear them. So um, chat to me about your background in SNCs, like here in Glasgow and you were in Munster for a while, but like chat to me about uh, say getting started and brief yeah, overview um, on that. It's a bit of a, it's not the, the traditional way really. Um, so yeah, like I'm, I'm here in Glasgow now a year and a half. Um, I spent nine years at Munster. Started Munster as an intern. Um, but previous to that, I didn't, when I came out of school, I didn't go straight into to strength and conditioning or sports science. To be honest, uh, I was, I think I was 16 starting my leaving search, I was so young and I didn't have an iota what I wanted to do. I turned 17, joined the leaving cert and I did electronic engineering for four years. So I got my uh, degree in that, but I honestly don't know what that piece of paper actually is and never did anything with it. Uh, but it was good, it, it was tough, I actually found a very, very difficult course, but got through it and then travelled for a year. And then came back, um, travelled to Australia with a friend of mine and came back and then started realised, okay, I need to find something here now that I'm interested in. So studied, did a kind of a personal training course. He was really good in the School of Sport in um, in a Thai. And I was kind of part-time and then thought, okay, I, I want to take this further. And I started, you know, doing some volunteer work, kind of personal coaching and then started studying full-time with uh, with, with Satanta uh, to do my degree in, in strength and conditioning. Um, and during that time, I was lucky enough to, near the end of that, to pick up um, an internship at Munster Rugby, which was very, very lucky. Uh, basically, went to a conference that they were doing, a regional conference, I think it was Charleville, or, or maybe it was Mallow, um, I, think, I think it might have been Charleville. 
and a good friend of mine that I've been at school with that I didn't know actually was with Munster was interning with Munster Rugby. Um, we got chatting and you know so and so, and I would say a couple of weeks later we swapped numbers. Um, and he gave me a text to say there was an internship role at the time Munster was split in in two regions, mm-hmm. Cork, and he was based in Cork, and there was a role coming up in Limerick. And I went for that and was very, very fortunate to get it. I think it was the fact nobody else was, was available to get it. Because I certainly uh, it didn't justify me getting that role. But I got it. Um, yeah, and it probably took off from there. I, I did two years as an intern with Munster. And then did uh, two years. I got a, a role with the underage. Um, with the athletic development pathway there, which was fantastic. Uh, some great people, some great mentors working under Fergal O'Callaghan there. Um, and then um, I did a year as the academy assistant SNC with Joe McGinley as the lead, who's now at Leinster. Uh, it was a fantastic experience. And then Joe moved to Leinster in that period, and I was lucky enough to get the lead academy position, uh, SNC or athletic performance coach. And that was phenomenal. That was a really brilliant experience. And, and two years there, and funnily enough, PJ Wilson then actually moved to Bat, who was obviously the friend that I. I was speaking about. Uh, he he was in the RTP role with the seniors, and he moved to um, the head of performance of Bat Rugby, um, and that position opened up, and uh, I took that role. I was fortunate enough to get that role. So two years then in that role, sorry, two and a half in that role, um, and then this opportunity came in Glasgow, and I just thought, you know what, I I, I like the job description, I like what what the role was, and yeah, I went for it, and here we are. Nice one, so, good stuff. Yeah, a bit of a kind of few by roads they get there, but yeah, that was it. Yeah, class. And so, like, pretty progressive, like, every year, two years, like, just kind of working your way up and along. Yeah, that, that was probably key for me. Um, you know, Munster is a f- fantastic club, fantastic people, and but, you know, progress, progression was, was key there. And I, I never stagn- felt stagnated because, as you say, I don't think it's been longer than two years. In any role, uh, except actually an RTP role, and that's when I probably felt, oh, maybe it's time for a new challenge, a slightly different, a different role. Um, but yeah, like uh, when I think about how lucky I was getting that internship role. So I was two thousand and what would it have been two thousand and twelve, maybe. So at the time, Bryce Kavanagh was the head of performance at Munster Rugby. He was now the head of performance with the FA um, English Football. Cool. So like phenomenal, and he was based in Cork. And then Alan Walters was basically the head SNC, we'll say, and he was based in Limerick. So I basically interned under him. Alan, who obviously went on to be lead of Munster, South Africa, now, now at Leicester, Steve Orwick, you know, so the, like the learning experience. And not only that, Aidan O'Connell was, was SNC in Cork, PJ Wilson, like I mentioned, uh, Joe McGinley, Gordon Brett, Fergal O'Callaghan. Uh, Adam Sheehan joined soon enough into that like incredible knowledge and, and people who have gone on to do some great things in, in the industry and still do so uh, and people that like, majority of them almost all of my stay in contact to this day and are mentors to me so yeah it's uh, I, I was very fortunate yeah. very very fortunate I have a lot to be thankful for for those people with Monster in general as well for for you know getting those opportunities because uh, yeah yeah I love that uh, learning off people is something that's like it's so important just to like beginners mindset growth mindset just always be learning like you know it's very easy to in any job get like stagnant and be like oh this is my job and i'm doing this job you can probably do any job after a while to a pretty good level but like just you just saying there like oh, i was learning off this guy learn off this guy and then i push myself to get this role and then i love that yeah and again timing and being in the right place at the right time is part of that and i was just fortunate so so there there is a huge element of, of luck and, and timing but yeah and i suppose it's the way i think i learn as well uh, i'm a guy who likes to learn almost do stuff and which can, can be weird at times um but yeah to try and put myself probably in a position where okay this is stressful because i don't know this role and i really have to kind of swim hard initially and get a feel for it and at the time it feels stressful and it feels the world is falling in but it, it it's probably maybe how i learn um which might be a bit unorthodox you know some people will you know will maybe go the research route and have that nailed to it to a t and, and and then go the practical route i suppose try and blend it as much as i can learn from the right people in terms of the research world but also 
in the practical world as well and, and I was incredibly fortunate with, with that and I still am to this day when you know look at the quality of coaches here and you know I'm not just talking about S&C I'm talking about the quality of rugby coaches that I got to experience physios nutritionists you know support staff both here in Glasgow and and, and my time in Munster so in, incredibly fortunate and players yeah. you know I remember when I came as intern you know, I, which isn't right I was learning off some of the players how they went about the business. It was my first experience, the real professional setup. And at the time, you know, Paul O'Connell was was obviously there and, you know, just how guys like him and, and, and those guys just went about their business. Um it, yeah, it was it was it was great. It was a really good experience. Yeah. yeah. Can't speak highly enough of it. That's class. And you mentioned there RTP, so that's like the return to play. And so within setups like Monster here or different setups, there's what would the different roles be? So, like in the performance, strength and condition kind of side of the coach and staff, what would the different roles be in a in a team? Yeah, it, it can vary from club to club or department to department. Um, my role, my previous role to here, was specifically working with the RTP players from that athletic performance side, working with the physios, working with, with anyone involved in that RTP process. Yeah. Um, here in Glasgow, we have similarities. So Robin Reedy, um, our, our athletic performance coach, does that as well as the sports science. So he, he kind of merges both of those roles, which is fantastic by him. Um, so yeah, I think in most places now, you will see that there's almost a specifically assigned athletic performance coach to, to the return to play or return to perform, as we call it here. I think because it's so, it's so individual, mm. Every individual is different. Every injury is different. You know, the criteria that needs to be met for that specific injury is different. There's also, you, what the lads do here is, is fantastic in terms of the gains they make, in terms of non-injured limbs and not, you know, if it's a lower body injury, the gains they make in their body comp or their upper body strength or it might be, you know, their fitness, whatever it might be. So it's a great window of opportunity as well. Um, so I think that's why having most clubs now, I think, in the professional set up will we'll have an assigned um, athletic performance coaches to work in, in cohesion with, with the physios, with the doctor, with the, with, with the medics, whatever it might be. And nutrition, you know, there, there's so many facets that need to work together. Mm. That's why it's probably a challenging role and a, a very rewarding role, but there's so many people you got to work with. You know, clarity has got to be, so it's got to be you know, crystal clear. Communication has got to be very smooth. Alignment has got to be down the middle because there's so many moving parts. Um, and then, you, you know, you probably forget about the most important part of that is the player within the center of it, mm. moving around it. And, you know, I suppose what they're going through in a way. Um, and what I think, and this is something the lads have, have introduced really well here under, under Killian Reardon, um, is an onboarding. Um, it, it's basically an alignment meeting with all the stakeholders at the start of the process to go through the plan, but also set goals and targets for that player who also has input into that. And I think, they, I think the massive, massive benefit for that is, you know, if that's not there, the player can maybe just trudge through, just waiting to get back to play. However, when there's certain goals and things, these guys are competitive guys and they love challenges and they love trying to reach goals. They just go after something. And what you'll see here from the, and, and, and back in Munster was the same, these guys train more than, than the fit squad. They just do and just use those opportunities because ultimately don't have to worry about the element of fatigue at the weekend. You, yeah. you, know, you can just train to a max at both the start of the week and the back end of the week. They recover over you know, the Saturday, Sunday and you press repeat and then they go again as they, I'm sure they would tell you if you asked them. Yeah, and that's cool. So when a player gets injured, say, or they get surgery, maybe not, or whatever, they get an injury, and then so the return to play, like Robin Reedy and then Killian and maybe several different people, they all come together and have a meeting and just kind of like map out the player's plan from where they are right now to them getting back on the field, and they just map that out and that process. And so then the player is involved with that as well, and then the player can say hey you know I like this I like that or whatever and they put forth that that plan that's, that's exactly what you're saying, yeah. exactly so they'll probably meet the the physio assigned to that injured player uh, Robin from the performance side, the, the nutritionist Connor um, mental skills coach the you know the player officer might, might be involved so there's a lot of different and obviously a rugby coach might be involved yeah. to get specific rugby work-ons 
and they put the plan together. They, the lads have set up a great thing where they're, they're able to get a Google Docs information from the player, send it to him and he can have his input mm. into things he'd like to work on, areas so they can take that information uh, and think, okay, that, that certainly aligns to everything. You know, we can't do everything you suggest, but 70% do yeah. it. Maybe sometimes you can do everything they suggest. You guys are really smart around that, to be fair to them. Uh, and then they all sit down together go through that process, let's say it's a 12-week injury, here's a map out how the 12 weeks will work, here's how it'll progress, here are some of the milestones you need to meet along the way, uh, and here are some of the other targets that might be um, not, not in terms of, what's the word I'm looking for? They won't dictate your return to, to play or perform, but they're athletic targets that you can work on mm. in the meantime. Again, take a lower body injury, here upper body targets that we want you, you to try and meet. Mm. You know, so and I think just like all individuals, when you know when we have goals and targets and something to aim for, it just gives us a sense of purpose. And the lads are great because it is a tough stint. It's you're mentally you're not playing and you're a little bit away from the squad at times. You know, you might be in a slightly different schedule. But having something to go for and just, you know, keep trying to reach is, is important. I think the lads do a great job here, but the staff and the players then for buying into it. Yeah, 100%. Because when I think back, like when I've had injuries, I remember like having a shoulder surgery or different things. And you're at square one and getting back on the field is square 10 or whatever, <laughs> point 10. And it can just seem like a vastness from there. And it's like, you know, it's like, okay, a physio, you go in to see a physio and this is outside of, say, your, like an environment like yours, but like you go and see a physio and it's like, all right, go work on this. But it's very hard mentally and you can be down because you don't see that clear path. But yeah. like you say, when you have a clear path, that's, it's easier to attack and get excited about. Uh, I think so. I think so. We, we, we've developed a, a framework here that... Um, as well, so with different stages of the RTP, but we also have components of basically the performance program because the RTP should align with the performance program. But like we take strength, power, plyometric, speed, agility, conditioning, uh, contact, rugby. They are probably the big ones from a, the play point of view. And we just have a one, two, three system for each. So we obviously criteria to, 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 to map on and, and, and to progress from one to the other. But again, the, in the in the player's plan they can clearly see that and they can obviously see it starting red a lot of red turning amber and obviously turning green and ultimately going back to that return to play a game or mm. in, back into training which is a huge milestone for them mm. so i think that helps as well and when when they can see that like you say it's almost a visual as well as as well as getting criteria so it, it seems to work quite well yeah good stuff and you mentioned Paul O'Connell and like here and over the nine years and over your 10, 11 years, you've worked with like lots of world-class players. What will be some kind of things that world-class players do around the gym or SNC around the environment that you'd see where I mean, you've worked with other players who didn't, who weren't and who, who, who didn't have good practices or what, what, what makes them or what, what do they do different? Or, yeah. or, it's, uh, it's a bit of a million dollar question in a yeah. way, but and it might sound a boring answer, but they absolutely nail the basics continuously, con continuously, consistently. Um, Killian Rayner had a performance here. As a, as a, like, consistency and discipline are, are, are the same thing, basically. You, know, you need one to have the other. And, and it's huge, and it's not getting bored with the basics. It's basically being able to identify, and again, us as coaches should be able to obviously guide with that. What are the key things that are key, key areas for performance, to help with performance, and then for that individual, whether it's extra mobility, recovery, you know, mm. strength extras, fitness extras, whatever it is. And then I suppose the, the discipline and the consistency to go after them and knowing if I nail these, it's going to help me progress. Mm. It's not necessarily go, like a, a switch going to ultimately straight mm. away make me better, but it's giving me the greatest opportunity. And it, that's probably even the physiological side of it. You didn't take the psychological side of that discipline just to apply themselves to something that they feel is You didn't see that carry on, on onto the pitch. They just don't take shortcuts. Mm. And you see it in training, and their standards then are always so high. That, you know, they just demand high of themselves and naturally then of others. So the best guys, and a lot of guys, are, guys here are the same. You know, it, it, it's that ability just to... To just nail the basics cons consistently. Again, as you go through your career, you begin to to learn that more and more. They learn more about their own bodies. You know, 
what specifically works for them. Once they can find that and prioritize that, the ability and the consistency and discipline just to nail those, to give them the best opportunity to perform, stay on the pitch, have a longer career. You know, there's multiple facets to that, benefits to that. And I'm a true believer as well, like how we do something is how we do everything. You know, and, and that's probably the, with the guys who are so diligent. And, and it's funny even, like, when I think back my times in the academy, the guys that I think of straight away were also brilliant at their college work. They were just incredibly diligent and, and they could prioritize what was important and then always nail it. You know, so it, it was just, yeah, it, it's that ability, I suppose, to, to number one, prioritize, but then the discipline to be consistent with it. Yeah, I love that. And I love you to say, as I've heard before, that I'm, the way you do anything is the way you do everything. And I love that. Like, yeah. And you know, you know as well if you're cutting corners. Like, yeah. You know, a hundred percent. I said our players uh, sometimes like it's not about working hard for coaches, it's about working hard for you. Yeah. And that's probably the hard thing, and it's one of our pillars of our program. You know, of our athletic performance program, we we call it professional habits. The fifth one, it's preparation, application, recovery. I think everyone knows about recovery and benefits of that. Preparation is probably doing our movement prep and, and elements of that. But application, it's huge and it feeds back into that. It's and something we did, we, we did in pre-season, actually, we just wanted to change up pre-season. Um, we, we came up with a theme and we, we worked it around Dennis Rodman, actually. If you remember Dennis Rodman at the Detroit Pistons, and a lot of people remember him and saw him probably from the, the Michael Jordan documentaries, maybe this mad guy, but he was an incredible teammate as well. And, you know, he would train harder than anyone so was, that, that's what we themed our pre-season about, that when we're tr doing anything, it's not just for us, it's for the guy beside you. It's don't let the guy beside you down, don't let your teammates down. You know, it's not just for you. Um, and yeah, yeah it, it's so important. It's so important because ultimately, if you train poor habits, they're going to carry on to with you. And, um, Damien Hughes has a, a, a great saying is like, you don't rise to the level of, of competition, you descend to the level of your training. You, you know, so your habits will, will come in. And if, those, if that training is incredibly high and standards are high, you know, you, you aren't a winner. Your autopilot will do the right things. However, if they're a little bit below standard, and as you say, you know, taking shortcuts, cutting corners, when real stress comes on, you know, when your backs are against the wall, you know, you're on your own try line, you know, maybe two points up in the game and they're battering you, you know, will you get off that ground that, that half a second quick enough? You know, will you get around the corner to help your teammate? And it might seem so easy, but ultimately it's putting all those pieces together you hope will, will, will ultimately transfer and help with that. Yeah, 100%. And that's the difference. That's the, like getting around the corner. That's when you scored the try. It's, it's the last few percent. Exactly, exactly. It's when stress is at its, its utmost. And when does that happen? You know, it's when stakes are the highest, really. And, and when your backs are against the wall, when you're in that dark place and things might be going a little bit against you, you know, refereeing decisions or you might be down to 14 men and, you know, it seems like the walls are caving in. But having that group, individual and group strength, I suppose, to absorb it and, you know, what um. And I think that's what training is, and I think we we have it here. You know, with, with Franco's training, it's it's really, really it's incredible training, tough on the guys, but it's just preparing them for what a game is going to be like. And uh, you know, yeah. So then, when you go into those stressful environments, you can be clear of thought. You're not fatigued, you know, and, and things like that. So yeah, ultimately, that's probably what we see training as is, is preparing you for those moments. A hundred percent, and it's uh, yeah. When you're prepared, and when you're at your peak, like physically, and you're fit, and you're strong, you can, yeah, you can play in at the end of a game, and you just have that energy, and it's, it's funny when you're talking there, because I was over a couple of weeks over the Stormers game, and uh, chatting to Nige, and uh, he was just talking about different things, kind of similar to what you're saying, and then in that Stormers game, they're, what, third in the table, or fourth, or they're way up there, they're a brilliant team, like yourselves, but uh, just you won it in the last play of the game, and it was, you know, it was like you were playing the way you were in the first 20 minutes, in the last five minutes, you know, playing fast, full tempo, and you score a try in the last play, and it's like, 
everything you were saying there, I'm thinking about that game. I'm like, yeah, like that's kind of what the difference is often. Yeah, and, and Franco speaks about an awful lot is, is tr the process. It's all about the process and trust the process. You know, and, and, and I think that's a great example of it there where the scoreline could have made the guys get a little bit you know, tense, you know, do you try and play for a penalty and then win it with a penalty? But they just kept playing their game and the DNA that, that, that the coaches, Nige, uh, Franco and Nige and the two Peets have, uh, have installed in them. And yeah, lo luckily that day it, it worked for us. Um, you know, it might not work every day, but you trust the process and you hopefully more, more often than not uh, that it works for you. And I suppose from an athletic performance point of view, that we, we try and implement that and maybe a, not as specific to out on the pitch in terms of we hope that there's an element to transfer it's not as direct obviously training will always be the biggest transfer to performance but it's still part of it and feeding in and, and trying to create those good habits um, and our, our lads have been great with that the players they've just they've, they've bought into all that and yeah you know we've yeah so yeah um, it's been good yeah I love when you're saying they trust the process and like it's something that I remember as a young player like you're kind of We'll be like, oh, when will it happen? Like, oh, and, you know, and you're like, I need it to happen. And, you know, this big, I need to have a big performance and all that. You're kind of always, I don't know, it's a bit of an anxiousness around that. But like you were chatting earlier then about the best players, they're like, they're just, they're doing the mobility. They're, they're doing, they're not cutting corners in the gym. They're just doing their, their gym. They're doing the mobility. They're doing their training at max pay, speed and all that. And that's just like, say, the process. And they're just, you just, doing all the right things all the way along and, and the success just happens then. I to totally agree, totally agree. Franco speaks about as well, getting better every day, doing those basics well, help, you know, gives you that. Uh, it gives you that and you know, you speak about it and you're right, you know, as a young player and I, I can say the same as a young coach, you know, you just, you know, not, not having the patience or the discipline to stay with the process. Oh, this is cool. I'm going to try this. This, mm. this block. I'm going to try that. I'm going to try that. And thinking, well, actually, initially I'd identified these were the key pillars, but now I'm over here, way off it. Um, so yeah, like it, certainly experience helps with it, and I found that as a coach. And Killian Rearnier has been—he's fantastic with that, and he's really good with me on that to, you know, to keep us aligned and, and keep us in focus to say. Priority is the priority. We know what it is. Let's back ourselves. We've identified these as being the priority. Let's back ourselves and get as good as, as, as we can and make the players the best they can be in, in those things we've identified. Cool, yeah. What are the, you mentioned earlier, like five pillars of performance? Yeah, so, like, again, this is just what we have identified here. I'm not saying this is the right the mm. right way or anything, but as Killian would say, these are the horses that we've decided to back yeah. and, and we're going to do it. So, so the five for us at the moment, we, we, we call pillars of, of our programme. And basically at the top of, of the programme will always be game, you know, game, performance, training underneath that. And then our pillars hopefully prop that up. Uh, strength and power will be one pillar. Uh, conditioning, number two. Uh, speed and agility, pillar number three. Uh, body composition, pillar number four. Either lean mass or body fat, what would be. And like I said, the professional habits uh, is, is pillar number five for us. Now, there's a lot of things underneath then that, that, that supplement that, and you know, plyometric stability, mobility, you know, movement quality, speed tech, whatever it might be that supplement underneath that and give you almost a base for it. But ultimately, they're the five pillars. And what we've tried to do here, I suppose, is with those pillars then, um, we look at creating objective markers for each of those and creating standards. Um, so we can assess ourselves and assess the players and see if our program's working, are, is the program improving, are the players improving, are we, you know, um, are we, yeah, are we improving consistently and, and giving ourselves the best chance to, to ulti ultimately perform well in training so ultimately we can perform well in, in the game and the coaches can do I suppose, what they like with them mm -hmm. to an extent. Um, and yeah, we just, again, back to a simple traffic light system, we have a green green standard for our true warrior standard as we call it uh, we have an amber standard which is a competence call it and then a novice standard which is our, our, our red and we just color code up obviously different exercises we have uh, four exercises for strength we have two for power we have our uh, you know our skin folds for our body composition we have our bronco test for our um, conditioning uh, what am i forgetting 
uh, we have our max velocity from our GPS, from our speed, and we have our 10 meter speed through speed gates indoor as well. So um, they're the things as much, getting as much objective data as, as we can to help guide our process and our decision. And so lads as well can see um, mm. can see how they're doing. And, and like I said, they're, they're quite competitive and you, you probably would have seen, you know, there's posters up in the gym with, with the color code, but there's also a leaderboard as well. So, mm. you know, as much as, as much as we're not just about, you know, doing gym work or doing anything, but if we're doing something is trying to get better at it, get better all the time and like I said, trying to get better a little better every day. And even if that's guys not lifting to their max, which you can't do every day, we obviously periodize it within the season. But again, if they're going sub max, just maximizing that where it's technically being brilliant, just moving the bar that little bit faster or whatever it might be, or jump you know, just trying to maximize everything you do in there. Yeah. Something I, when you mentioned, um, I find interesting, um, body composition. So when I was younger, you know, I uh, played number eight, second row, but you know, you're trying to get bigger and whatever, but I think a mistake that inexperienced players make is you kind of think of bodybuilders or you think of like six packs or, and you know what I mean? Uh, but that's not quite an athlete or a rugby player or, and then to flip with that, like sometimes you see kind of front rowers or front five that are kind of heavy and they're world class. And I don't know, talk to me a bit about body composition and that kind of stuff. Yeah, you're 100% right. And we would go by position as well in terms of our standards. There, there would be one for prop, one for um, hooker, uh, hooker back row, one for lock, one for scrum half and so on. Mm. Specific to the position, because you're right, it, it, it's going to be different per position. Mm. You know, the lower down you go in terms of position, in terms of numbers uh, of starting team, you yeah. know, the, the more body b body fat or the higher the body composition will be. So, yeah, it, like, it, it's all about, I suppose, being able to perform to the optimum level what you have. So, re I suppose, to explain that, if we feel, well, let's take a prop, who maybe skin folds are quite high, is not we feel can perform a little bit better and that's maybe the general feedback whether it might mm. be you know fades away or at the moment can last 50 minutes but we, we you know there's going to be times we're going to have to ask him to play 60 minutes then okay is this an area we can supplement that and help it as you say it's not trying to get a six pack but it might be just drop down a little bit of excess body fat maybe uh, maybe put on a little bit more lean so again muscle will fire that is just something you carry in general so that may just help with that, with that. You also might have the other option where their, their skin folds aren't maybe at the true warrior stand that we want. However, they're playing incredibly well. They're playing for 70, 80 minutes. You know, everyone seems happy. We're happy with some other factors in terms of their jump scores, their speed scores are quite well. You see, they can just operate really well with that body composition, we're able to handle it. Then, are we going to chase after that? And think, again, it goes back to prioritization. Yeah. Well, actually, maybe not. This guy is functioning, he's world class, you know, he's playing at a really, really high level. If we feel that that's good, then, and that's where probably context has to come into it. You know, objective data is fantastic, it really is. But it's always important to to basically look with your own eyes as well, or in probably my case, using the coach's eyes and asking their opinion, you know, how you feel this player is performing and everything. And, you know, if the player is performing to an ultimately high level, it's not an issue. Should we make it an issue? Mm. Probably not. Probably not. So it, it's always taking that into, into context. And again, the flip side, not, not to contradict myself, if we feel we can make this player 1% or 2% better, then that's our time. Okay, we'll interject slightly. We'll add something in. The nutritionist will help out, whatever it might be. And then probably when you have the flip side of that where you might have a guy who is... You know, really fit, really lean, but maybe too lean. You know, playing, you know, in in a high collision-based sport. You know, and just being able to have that mass and being able to produce force of that mass in that direction is going to aid them um, in their position. So then it might be just you know giving them extra sessions or you know gym sessions, maybe taking on a bit extra calories. But like you say not necessarily just as a bodybuilder that's going to restrict their movement and what makes them really good and you don't want to put on excessive fat either because it might stop them from performing so yeah it's a fine balance but it probably goes back to that discipline and consistency and a plan is like put a plan in place it's not going to happen overnight you know if it, especially if it's a young kid you know you've plenty of time to keep progressing keep progressing and again 
a little brick at a time, one brick at a time, and suddenly before you know it, you have a wall, you know. Um, so yeah. Mm. And something you mentioned, young kid, and I think a big challenge for young players, and I know you're not working with academy right now, but is putting on weight and getting to a senior level of uh, like body armor standard. Or um, so, what would you say to say a 18, 19 year old who's been told? who's maybe just gone to university or is in a kind of a sub academy or just like at that level and they're good players but they've been told you need to get bigger like what would you say to them or you know is it because isn't there a thing about putting weight on gradually or isn't it a thing that you, you need to build it gradually versus like oh I need to put on 10 kilos like it's not just <laughs> eat as much as you can as quick as you can is it or, no uh, absolutely not so the first yeah like I suppose the big thing will be who's telling him that and what is the reason. I always look for the why. You know, is it a guy who's playing in the front row and is 85 kg? And someone's telling him, for your long-term future, if you want to play in that position, you're going to progressively have mm. to put on... <coughs> cool. Uh, I, my first bit of advice would be go to someone who's competent in getting you there. Because mm. don't just look on online and uh, because, yeah, there's so much out there. It's go to someone who's incredibly competent, who's done it before, who knows to give you a, a, a program, but give you the advice to actually get there over time. Like you say, that's going to be a, a six, seven, eight year project. It's just going to be part of their professional habits, mm. you know, doing that. Um, so I think that's important. Um, Liam Walsh here, who runs our academy, you know, has, a, has really got the lads doing really great stuff. He gets all their main lists in. They lift really well, but then he looks places to supplement them with with extra lifts in terms of upper body body extras, whatever it might be. Knowing that academy is a great opportunity for him to put on lean mass, but again, they're in a structured program. They're with a highly competent professional coach who, who who's able to get them there. So it it is possible to get get there, but I suppose the the hard thing, as you say, it might be a, a kid in in university who's you know not in a full time program. Who's studying during the day? Who maybe you know gets a chance? Gets a chance maybe three, four times a week to get to the gym. The danger there is that he thinks about body weight alone and just putting on body weight. Whether ultimately it's going to be lean masses is what he wants to put on. So, like you say, that's going to take time. That's that's a process. Mm. That's a process, and being patient with it and just knowing that, and it probably goes back to what we started chatting. The discipline to actually put something in place and just stick with it, stick with it, mm. be very, very consistent. Um, and obviously a massive thing is eating the right food with that then as well, getting the right nutrition. Uh, that's how the body builds muscle as well as getting uh, stimulus of, of lifting. It, it needs both in conjunction. Um, and again, that's where we have uh, Connor Stewart here, nutrition as well, is help, able to help the, the lads here with that as well. And that's again where it's difficult for someone who maybe isn't in a full-time program. It's like anything, try and stick to the basics, do your fundamental lifting movements, eat well, you know, it's not just about eating calories, you, you need to get a, a certain amount of, again, fresh whole foods. Mm. Uh, Joe McGinley had a saying, you know, if you can, if it falls off a branch or you can kill it with a spear, eat it, you, you know, so again, it's those wholesome foods, it's not, not processed. And if, if you're eating nodes and you're lifting in a, a good balance, lifting program you're probably in a good place you're, you're probably in a good place yeah 100 percent. and for just last one on that i'd say though the kind of young player who's progressing into an adult team and an adult body as well is a it's kind of is a, a split between uh the power and the strength and then like i said the body comes another thing you said but uh that's kind of bodybuilding gym isn't it then like higher reps so one yeah. is kind of you're doing like I was thinking back to myself, but like five by five or five, five four, three, two, one, or that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then the other is like twelve sets of twelve or fifteen. That that's what puts on the the size. Yes, yeah. Like you will get uh, lean mass gains from doing max strength work. You, there, there will there will be an element of that. But yeah, if you're specifically looking to to um, increase lean mass, you, you're looking to stress that muscle to its maximum capacity. So yeah, you're looking at, at, at those high reps and you're looking at different schemes to try and do that. Um, but again, going back to the, to the person who's maybe, it, who's not in a full-time program, who's maybe in university, 
probably because they haven't been in a structured S&C program, you know, coming out of it, actually stimulus and just general lifting, get yeah. the, they will have a really good response to that. So, you know, you, you don't have to reinvent the wheel with it. Just getting a, a very, very simple, consistent, having, a, I would say, a nice mix of, of your strength work and element of power maybe and your supplementary high volume work in, in a program, making sure you're balanced with lower body, upper body, push-pull, just your core work, different things like that. If you're consistent with that and consistent with healthy eating, you, you'll be in a good place. If you want to make real gains and look at making real lean mass, then you're going to, you need to go to a professional coach or, or a trainer. Of course. And think about, say, like, you know, a club player or an amateur player that steps into a professional environment. I think it happens everywhere. I was chatting a couple of weeks ago, I was chatting to someone there, like, oh, that guy was playing with the whatever and he's come in this year and he's doing really well. And it happens everywhere. Is there anything in general that you see, say, like it's AIL back home or whatever it is here, but that a club player steps in where they're lacking? Is there any general over the years that you see, like, oh, this is a great club player, mm. and anything from an SC point of view when they step into the professional environment that, that they're quite behind with? It's a great question. Uh, really good question. Um, I think probably the whole... It's probably a shock to the system in terms of the amount of training is probably the big thing. Like you said, even though they might have to work, let's say if they were playing AEL or in college, mm. university, and then training in the evenings maybe or whatever it might mm. be, now you're in maybe 7, 8 o'clock and you're there till 4 o'clock on a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, maybe Friday. Mm. So there is the volume of training definitely increases. But there's some guys that certainly have come in here and um, who responded really well to that. Um, so it, it can be a mix, Brian. It, it can be. It can be sometimes the level of rugby yeah, that they've been yeah. exposed to. You know, it, it might be that that rugby's just been played at a fa we, we would hope that it's played at a faster yeah. pace than club. It should be, or else there's something wrong. So that can be sometimes tricky. But what I would say, the more and more I think, obviously, strength and conditioning and general health is is obviously um, more widespread to. And some clubs have a fantastic setups now as well mm. in terms of you know their athletic performance program and their medical programs. So you know some schools um, the same. So I think from an athletic performance point of view, usually guys come in and in really good, really good nick. You know, um, it's probably just the amount of training or maybe the intensity of of training. In particularly, I, w I would say the, the rugby element and, and how fast it's played. Yeah, so then it's kind of getting your everything outside of the rugby and the environment, right? Like your your rest, like you said, your eating, your sleep, your kind of vitamins, your supplementation, like all that stuff. Like that's then a huge thing because with the increase in the stimulus, you, that's what you really need to be dialed in with. Massively, massively. And I'm not saying this happens with club players or university players or whatever, mm. but if they're playing part-time, you know, what you do on weekends or what you do in the evenings may not have as much of an effect, immediate yeah. effect on what you do. However, when you've got to come back in and train for all that, get through all that training volume weekly, weekly, and expect it to perform well, it's different. And like you say, your recovery and, you know, what you do away from the facility becomes so, so important. That ability to be able to go again and again and, you know, it can become a trudge. It's a long season. We're just at the end of a ten-week block, and it, you know, it is hard on guys. <clears throat> um, but that's the sport. That's that's the game, as uh, as you know. You know, so um, so for for some guys, I'm sure that can be a challenge coming in at trudge. But you know, we've had a few guys come in here this season, and and they've been excellent. They've been really, really good. Probably the key was as well someone came in in pre-season, which was great. So you know. Yeah. Pre-season hard for everyone, but mm. you know they they found their feet really quickly and, and they've been excellent. Excellent. Yeah, it's something. Thinking back, it's funny. I had Nigel, Nigel Carden, who mm. works here, and had him on the pod before, and he coached me Connacht Twenties, and it was funny. We were laughing, like looking back, that they used to absolutely beast us Monday to Friday, <laughs> and then at the weekends, I would literally get the bus back to Ballina on a Friday and just like sleep and watch, lie on the couch and just watch TV, and it was before I really knew anything about yeah. that side of it. But it was, it was, we worked so hard that 
all I was nearly too tired to go yeah. for a few pints, you know, like maybe, I was, maybe that was their mindset. Oh, maybe, yeah. And I just it's funny, but uh, that it's so important. Yeah, it's so important with uh, with everything that recover. You know, like the recovery. You increase the rugby in the SNC, you got to increase the recovery and the work outside of it. That's what you're talking about. Hundred percent, hundred percent, Brian. Yeah, and looked at the social side is is, is important as well. It's not yeah, camera, yeah. but. Ultimately, you're going to be expected when you come back in on the Monday, whenever it is, to, to go again. And, and that's that's the routine of a, of, of a pro. Yeah. Um, One thing I'm learning or hearing a lot now, I'm not playing anymore, but is uh, the importance of hip mobility. So it's something that when I was 10 years ago or, you know, even seven, eight years ago, I well, didn't really hear or understand the importance of that. Is that something that you look at or... Yeah, it's, it's 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 a key element. Um, not necessarily just hip mobility. Um, you know, mobility of all the major yeah. the, the major joints that want to be mobile. You know, like like the ankle, the hip. I think the big one for the for the hip is if the hip isn't mobile. Something that wants to be stable above it or below it, the knee wants to be stable, or the lumbar, the core as we, as we mm. call it, wants to be stable. If the hip obviously ideally is mobile but it become lacks that mobility those joints above it or, or areas above it can actually change and to be mobile when you don't want them to if that makes sense yeah core, I think the big one you see the core yeah, yeah the lack of stability or lack of strength in the core yeah. because it's just overcompensating because what's happening at the hip or vice versa because the core isn't strong in the first place, the hip is now compensating a little bit for that. So it's actually, it's, it's trying to stabilize as well as being mobile. So it, it, it's, it's a fine balance. Um, as you know, the body works in a kind of a kinetic chain. So again, majority of the time, we'll obviously work from the foot up because ground contact, you know, working from the ground coming up. So having a stable foot position, ankle position is, is key to hip stability. Mm. So for, for me, I always think, Mobility and stability work side by side. Mm. It's the old elastic band. It's fine having a you know elastic band that, that that's flexible, but it doesn't have a point to fix fix for. You can't get that tension or use use any force on it, so it's kind of useless. But if you have a point where it can actually stick to, that's stable. Now that flexibility in the muscle is actually ideal the, the way we want it. So I suppose going back to your question in terms of athletic movements, it, it's key. You think of what rugby is. You think of um, running. Number mm, one, yeah, it's a running. It's still yeah. a running based sport. And then you think of tackling, body height, carrying. You know, scrum position, mauling. You yeah. know, all all needs flexibility and mobility of that. You know, that lower body. So it, it's a key key part. Yeah, it's something we absolutely train. You know, we we, we try and start every week coming off a game or even if we're not on a Monday with a mobility session um, just to restore guys um, we all we we probably have something that we call hip conditioning as part of our our program as well where we're just looking to to make sure we can be able to get full extension of the hip and again if, if, if the hip will live in too much flexion it'll just get comfortable in that, in that position uh, where we want to be able to have it to be you know very mobile and be able to extend fully um, because naturally we live in flexion a lot but ultimately then we want to load in different positions like we want to be able to squat deep so again we need the hip mobility and the ankle flex mobility to be able to do that so it, it's a key it is a key component of um, athletic performance um, yeah. yeah yeah and you mentioned there um, so full flexion for hip is uh, like being in a hip flexor stretch and like fully leaning very far forward. That's what, you're, that's what it, flexion for the hip is. Yeah, uh, flexion for the hip is like even sitting down. You know, we're, we're flexed at the hip. So, oh, okay. uh, but if you think of a deep squat, will we'll be flexion of, of the hip. So we kind of live in that position a lot. And yeah. if the hips are tight, that muscle, that psoas muscle, can tend mm. to shorten a little bit. Mm. So. You know, to compensate that, we always try and make sure we can achieve full extension, which the antagonist, the opposite of that, work the glutes, you know, so we can almost stretch that so it's muscle because if it's not flexing, yeah. if it's not flexing, and the opposite, yeah, opposite is, it will extend that muscle. So, yeah, we look at elements of that. We look at our low levels, or we'll call it low level, but I suppose our basic element is stretching. But we also look at that stability and making sure that we have good mm. core function. Uh, breathing is another element we look at, mm. which is, for me, maybe the lowest, the most fundamental uh, element of, of core bracing. 
it's a huge, huge component of it. You know, the ability to, to diaphragm breathe rather than breathing from our chest, which gives that rib flare, which we want to avoid. Again, if, that, if those ribs are flared up, it means something is slightly switched off in that core. So we look at elements of that. We look at our bracing position, which is key. Um, for every movement we have, the ability to, to resist forces, you know, isometrically, have that core strength brought in you know, anti-rotation, uh, anti-extension, anti-lateral reflection. Um, so yeah, it's, it's we, we probably tie mobility and elements of stability and movement almost together like that. I, mm. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, it does, it, it, it does, sense. 100%, yeah. And is there anything that you say, started doing the last maybe couple of years, say with Munster here, that is very different when you started out? So like any kind of practices or different things within the gym that are or uh, conditioning or anything that's like quite different when you were starting out 10, 10 years ago um yeah like like every things change a little bit and and you adapt but the fundamentals and the principles of training don't yeah, that's true. you know so that that's the other side and yeah, maybe as I've gone on, it's been taking things out, and it's that a bit maturity and the ability to realize what is important and what maybe isn't as important, and what's noise, and mm. if it's noise, remove it. So I probably would there would be an element of that. What I think is has been a big addition to our program here that we've looked to to do is I've spoke about our pillars that you know prop up we we you know athletically prop up our. Or, or playing model or, or model of performance. This season, we've we've almost in, tried to introduce what we call boulders, uh, three boulders in between training and those pillars, and trying to get a bit more specific where almost athletic performance and rugby performance meet. So three areas. Uh, one was our kind of a game conditioning, which is based a lot around contact-based conditioning. Uh, two was our game speed. So taking your elements of strength and speed, but putting it in into what's applicable for us. So how we break that up is, is basically uh, attack and defense. Attack day is on Monday. We look at different types of stepping, cutting, you know, the, the ability to get in good positions. So we break it usually up into uh, inside. We do some very low fundamental movements, getting guys in, getting to talk about hip mobility and things like that into good positions. We do some technical skills where we, challenge them to, to be good in those positions and then we do some opener specific skills it might be a carry drill two on two something like that where we try and introduce a little bit of chaos and again see can they hold those good movements those good patterns and i suppose the, the thing i always try to say to the lads is getting good positions and good things happen because what ultimately happens in is their rugby capabilities kick in their rugby skills kick in if they're in good positions our job is to try and ensure that they get in as many good positions as possible then on a Tuesday is our defence day, so we will look more defence focused. You know, getting getting off the line, getting across, getting set, things like that. So that was the second bowl or game speed, and the third one in is position specific skills. So we, you, you might have seen when when you're in the storm was week. Um, so on a Monday, Pete Horn will take some carry work with the forwards inside straight after their gym, just some banded some footwork pre contact. So we work on that again, good body height using your footwork being able to carry through, through contact. Uh, Tuesday, because it's the defence day, Pete March will do our close quarter skills. So what we do with our backs on Tuesday is at the back end of the gym, Pete will take half the backs, I'll take the other half, and I'll do hip conditioning, while Pete will do some um, close quarter skills, time and tackle, you know, whatever contact skills is, is relevant maybe to the week in terms of the opposition or to what he's periodised for, for this block, this is what I want to work on, whether it's, you know, um, I don't know, chop focus or whether it's maybe time and tackle, hold up focus. And in Thursday, we try and merge the two of those in terms of our, uh, in terms of our game speed, but also in terms of our position specific skills. We, we look at elements. Pete might take something like passing. Pete, uh, sorry, that's Pete Horn. Pete marched in, might look at the forwards and just come in as part of the gym and just take elements of, again, what's specific to that week, what area you want to work on. And then with that as well, we have... Um, Al Dickinson, our scrum coach. So Al comes in on the Tuesday gym session with the forwards and just takes guys one and does one-on-one -on -one drills with them as well as part of the gym. So we try and get as much um, 
as much almost transfer work if you if you want to call it that or kind of again yeah. where athletic performance we feel in rugby meets and just can we help with transfer a little bit more there. So that's probably been a big asset. Uh, we did elements of it last year, but I, I think we've improved on that this year, and we've been more structured. Um, and it's great as well for, for me. I, I get to, you know, more interaction with the coaches and what we're doing. You get a, a bit more understanding as well what they're actually looking for from their attack or their defense or whatever it might be, the scrum position, whatever it might be. So yeah, that, that's something that's pr- pretty cool. And Scotland do a really good job right here with uh, Stuart Ewell and Chris Leck as well. They have good elements of that in their program. So. Um, yeah, it, it, that's probably the the big one. I would say looking for those elements of transfer. Where where can we can we help? And I think as well, like I said, my the athletic performance program is very simple, very basic, uh, and just nailing those basics. But then bringing in these elements creates that little bit of um, element of excitement, but different for the players, and they, and they understand it because it's way more relatable to the game. So um, I, I think it, it's a win with them as well. 100% that's really cool and I've seen you know just different things online different things whatever around and um, I've seen that in different environments yeah where uh, the gym is moving a bit closer to the the actual rugby like it just yeah. in say different movements but then you know you can do different things with bands and and yeah 100% that it's not just an isolated thing and yeah. that is so cool as a player as well to 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 feel like you're you're more do more rugby stuff you know it's not just you're not just lifting weights you're you yeah. know you're moving towards the rugby hundred percent and I think you can apply then okay this is what performance this is why we do that the heavier the slower lifting or whatever it might be so we can be better at this and the coaches are phenomenal you know we introduced this you know, you know they they've been great at it because there's times where maybe in preseason I would have taken elements of it but I'm not a rugby coach. The guys know that as well, yeah. and then so they should, you know. So having the rugby coach there, it just brings. This is a part. This is this is an important part of rugby development, and it's they love. They obviously getting more coaching as well, but the players love it. It works well as part of the gym, and it's just a win-win all around. And you know, yeah, I just say we've introduced it from an elite performance, but probably the heavy lifting of it comes from from, from the coaches. They, they're the guys who have to have to take it and uh, and run it, but. I think it's been it's been a success and probably you know in discussion at the moment is looking at different other areas we can look at can we help a you know footwork in the line out you know is there is there different areas we can look at that you know again we can just aid aid with that and just get that extra bit in without compromising our fundament our pillars of performance yeah. which we don't hundred percent and you mentioned there the bands and running with the bands and that's that's class I think and for carrying and like I never did that you know once again like yeah just and even I've seen as well people like holding a med ball like say like being on on the ground like chest on the ground like jumping up grabbing a med ball and then having a band and sprinting yeah so that's class (laughs) players love that they do they do yeah absolutely because again they can relate it to this is exactly you know not exactly, but this is very close to what I'm going to be asked to do on the pitch. So there's a huge transfer element to that. And they can see it in front of their face. You know, you know, it, it's not just a, a research-based reason why, why, why you're doing it. It's actually, this is a practical element that I'm going to be asked to do in training in the game. Um, and it creates variety, which is important for players. And especially for us, like I said, from the discussion there, you can see like our pillars are, are very simple quite basic so you know it's about nailing the basics but then creating an element of variety and challenge for the guys um, and that spark as well and you can see that they're so enthusiastic when they do it and then when the rugby coach is there as well I think that's key because then they see this is a vital part of rugby we're we're not just doing a movement here Mm. a gym we're doing a rugby type movement and and that's key that that for me is holds all the weight and it really does yeah 100% and uh Chat to me a bit, just quickly about um. So for say amateur coaches or just I suppose any team, but around warming up uh, during games. So it's something that I, you know, when I was coaching over the last couple of years, say in Vancouver with different teams, it's something that I didn't do. But say if we didn't have an SNC person on, the coach was to like look at that or something. What what's kind of a good practice around? So you warm up, you know, warm up the team warms up. But then, what's good practice around subs warming up? I think every player will tell you have a, di- a slightly different opinion and feel on this. Um, 
So I suppose our practice here is we will warm up. They'll warm up, obviously, pre-game with, with the squad. The squad comes out on 15 minutes. We, we go down for a very general movement. You know, just general. Again, usually there's not substitutions made in this period. No. So we don't necessarily want the guys to be hopping off the ground there and, and, and really spark. So we bring tackle bring tackle bags, might get a couple of low-level hits. But it's more just about movement. Get a few strides out, get a few accelerations, do a bit of mobility, do a bit of maybe down, you know, press-up work, or just open up the, the chest a little bit, preparing for contact, get hands on ball, you know, just go in, just get them moving. Then thir on 35 minutes on the, on the clock, just before half-time, this is where we'll, we'll intensify it a little bit. But I think the key to it is keeping it short. Mm. And again, it's prioritizing, okay, what do I want to get done here? I need to get them a, a few, you know, um, sprints, but not max sprints, but just good straight outs at around 80, 85% up towards that night. You need to get some acceleration. You need to get some hits in. Bang. And then give them their own time. Um, and then straight after half time, we would do similar works, absolutely intensified. Uh, because now we're trying to get, guys know that they're, they're going to be coming. They need to get ready. Um, and again, I'd probably try and keep it short and sharp because there's a few things going through their head and their focus, but get the main things we want to do. Want to do some carries, want to do again some contact work so they have the feel of that getting off the deck. You know, they're, they're in that spark, that mood to go, accelerating. Um, and then give them some individual time. You know, if it's a scrum half, you like to do some passing. If it's a prop, they might do some one on one work. You know, uh, a hooker might want to throw, things like that. And, and then as we go past that stage on around 55 minutes, we might go down again. It's a quick spark. And then it's almost an individual call around 65 minutes. Uh, is there a guy still on the bench if there is? So, yeah, it's it, it's a tricky one. I suppose I've had times where guys, you know, and in different teams and, and, and things, they're, they're more interested in the game and, and kind of naturally, you know, they're flowing in the game. But, but what, what I try and, I suppose, say to them is... or or um, get them to understand is the best thing you can do for your teammates is be ready when called upon. Mm. So for these, whatever, two minutes, whatever it is, just do that right. Be physically and mentally ready, switched on to what you need to do, and then go from there. Um, and actually what I found very useful with that is is, is letting the guys huddle up themselves after halftime and get one, whoever it might be, the most senior, um, senior um, substitute, have a chat with the lads. Okay, you know, we'll all be we'll be mic'd up. We know what the comms are. They just come out at half time. They know what the comms are. Mm -hmm. Given that, and then it's streamlined. So I suppose to summarise, you don't want to batter guys with warm ups. You really don't. You know, you just want them to have that spark to be to be physically and just mentally engaged. That that's really it. You know, again, as a young coach, I would have probably thinking, oh, I could do this during the warm up, and I, I could do this. And I've I've gone down that road, and then I come back wonder why was that so? Why are the guys so? They don't want to learn new things. They just want simple, mm. simple things of get getting them physically and mentally ready. So here, what what I try and do is is elements that they've done in the warm up, they've done before, very very basic stuff, but again just enough to get them engaged as far without getting them overly fatigued. And I think keeping it sharp and sharp is is key for them. I don't know what you would have felt as a yeah. as a as a player. 100% yeah like I wasn't you know as in Ireland or whatever I wasn't a sub that often but I remember when I was like uh, it's a chore first yeah. of all like yeah. like you know I personally I like to watch the game if ever yeah. I wasn't playing you want to kind of keep your finger on the pulse sort yeah. of you want to feel the game and see the game and so then it would be a, a little bit of a chore but you understand it's necessary so it's like oh we're going warming up okay cool and you you want to, like you say, just just get firing again. Just, yeah. just like a couple of sprints, whatever it is that it's just like boom. I'm good again. I'm warm. I'm 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 good, and then back and yeah, yeah like absolutely. two minutes every whatever amount yeah. of time. And you know, then you know if you get called on, you can do your. You'll have time for say three hits each shoulder and yeah. uh, ten push-ups and five squat jumps, and off you go. Or maybe even not that. Or you know, you yeah. you'll yeah. have time to just get a real going the go again yeah absolutely and I think the important part from a, an early performance coach is to realise it's about the players it's, it, it's not about you the coach you mm. know that that's the key key of it it's, it's you know it's there to help the players and that's the purpose of it not to, as I said as an inexperienced coach I think, oh I need to do this I need to do that I need to do all that 
Nobody cares. The player doesn't care what we're doing. Like you said, he just needs that, that element of spark. You know, make sure that they're contact ready, they're sprint ready, they're change of direction ready. Bang. You know, that's that's ultimately what, what, what I look at now. So, yeah, I, I it, it, it can be a chore. I, I, I see that. But I suppose it's like anything. We have a system here that we just do, no matter who's taking the game, in terms of who's warm. We just do that consistently. So they're used to it. So there's an element, of, you know, the, the, yeah, just get on with it. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff. How are you finding Glasgow in general, moving over from uh, Munster and being there? And how how is the city and how are you find this? Yeah, I did really like it. Um, you know, it's yeah, it reminds me of a, a bit of home. I think um, certainly uh, the weather certainly isn't yeah. certainly no no better. Probably no worse either. To be fair, it's not like we've uh, not like we coming from France or anywhere. Um, it's been good. It's been good. People in Glasgow are great. I, I love the sense of humour. Uh, people at the club here are fantastic. Um, yeah, I, I like the city. I'm living out here in the West End. Uh, really good. Challenging part, family situation. My family is still back in Limerick. So that, that's, that's probably the tricky part. But, you know, it's, it's like anything. You, you adapt and you make it work. So they're, they're, they're getting on well. Um, and is working away. And Timmy's still in school So um, in, in Limerick. So I... I get back so I'll get a chance to get back now again next week so to be fair the lads here are really good like that so any time to get back so that's probably the only challenge um, I would find uh, away from them but other than that yeah it's a, it's a good place to live and I do recommend anyone coming over yeah good stuff well, hey Damien thanks for your time Brian unreal, thank you uh, cheers unreal chatting and appreciate it thank you Wes Cheers for listening in today. Would you do me a favor now and send the podcast on to some friends or into your WhatsApp group? That takes less than 30 seconds, but I would hugely appreciate it because that's how the podcast grows and how more people get value from it. If you're an ambitious player, serious about getting to your next level and would like to feel more confident, enthusiastic and certain of success, Get in touch through my website offfieldrugby.com and we'll sort a time to chat over Zoom. Everyone understands the importance of getting help with your physical development through an SNC coach and the best players in the world understand the importance of getting help with your mental development through a mental skills coach. So don't be worrying about your future. Don't be hoping that you're doing the right stuff and hoping that things will work out. Get in touch, we'll work together monthly and you will love how much better you feel. You'll love how certain you'll feel about where you're going, about your future and how much more confidence you will have in yourself. Or if you're a coach and you would like to give your team an edge out there in the field, then get in touch through the website as well. And we can chat about how we can help your team through a Zoom session. You know, it's funny, I've been there myself as a coach You spend ages working on a play or a call that they mightn't even do or it doesn't come off. So essentially that's all time wasted. But you do one mental skills session with your team and they learn tools and strategies to deal with nerves, have more confidence and self-belief. And instantly their performances can go up 10, 20, 30% each. You add all those percentages across a whole squad and it's literally a complete game changer for your team and your players will be so thankful to you and you look great so yeah if you're a coach get in touch via offfieldrugby.com and you and i can have a chat over the phone to suss where your team is at and what they kind of need i'll link all my socials below at offfield rugby for instagram twitter tiktok brian moylet for linkedin add me there so we can stay in touch And hey, thanks again for spending some time with me today. I hope you're keeping well. Have a good one. Cheers.